Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. You have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man who's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie. And uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland. A podcast about the ground on which the black community stands right now. From stories about salvation and loss. I loved a person who had an HIV diagnosis. To dreams achieved. Or yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. I sat down with a therapist and I began my journey. To those left behind. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From The Recount, I'm Rena Ninen, and you're listening to The Recount Daily Pod. Today's Tuesday, August 3rd. But it will always be with us. There will be outbreaks in communities that have decided not to vaccinate. But we will get to a place of control where, believe me, you don't think about COVID. And I know that seems impossible, but we will actually get there. That was Dr. Monica Gandhi, professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. We'll dig into the latest news on COVID and the Delta variant in just a moment. But first, your morning headlines. After weeks of back and forth from a bipartisan group of senators, the $1 trillion infrastructure proposal was unveiled and the bill moved into debate. The biggest question for Republicans was how the bill would be paid for. Roughly half of the $1 trillion proposal will be new federal spending, while the rest will be from existing planned investments in the country's roads, highways and bridges. The proposal, being called the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, is broken down in these key points. First, it invests money into roads, bridges, public transit, and rail systems. The second point, it improves the country's drinking water, including a program that would replace every lead pipe in America. And third, it expands broadband internet access nationwide. Senators hope to have the debate finished by the end of the week. They will then begin work on a roughly $3.5 trillion economic plan that Democrats hope to wrap up before their planned summer recess. More than 100 state legislatures from across the country came to D.C. on Monday to join their Texas counterparts to push the Senate and White House to take action on voting reform. The lawmakers come from over 20 states, including those that have passed more restrictive voting bills. They plan to rally outside the Capitol today and to hold several public and private events in the evening to push for voting rights. The For the People Act is a proposal to expand voting rights, change finance laws to reduce influence on politicians, ban gerrymandering, and create new ethics rules for federal officials. The bill stalled in the Senate with a 50-50 vote and started the conversation about ending the filibuster rule, which gives a majority vote to pass a bill. 
The United States hit a big milestone on Monday with 70% of all adults getting at least one vaccine shot. This comes just one month after the Biden administration's original goal of hitting the 70% marker by July 4th. As the Delta variant continues to spread, many companies are requiring employees to be vaccinated, and multiple cities and states are implementing new mask rules, including Louisiana, which just announced a statewide mask mandate that starts on Wednesday. And now to our daily deep dive. The Delta variant of COVID continues to surge in both vaccinated and unvaccinated communities alike. This is happening just weeks before schools across the nation will welcome back kids into the classroom. And because children under 12 still have not been okayed to receive the vaccine, there are fears and questions about what the fall and winter might look like. What do you need to know about Delta? Dr. Monica Gandhi, an infectious disease specialist and professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, helps us dig into it. Dr. Gandhi, thank you so much for joining us. There's so many questions, and we've got some questions from our recount listeners I want to get to in a bit. But first, I want to start off and ask you about the kids under 12. It feels like it's taking forever for them to get the vaccine. Is there any buzz in the medical community about that? Yes. So, I mean, Frankly, it was delayed. There was a reason for that delay, right? So they started the clinical trials, Pfizer and Moderna both, um, of those between six months and 12 years old. And the FDA about three weeks ago said to Pfizer, we're seeing some rare side effects in the 12 to 15 year olds and even older and young males of myocarditis with the vaccine. We want you to expand your 5 to 11 group from 2,265 to 5,000 because if there's any rare side effects, we want to reassure parents and we want you to tell us. And so there was an expansion and there is going to be a delay. Would you let your child under 12 take this vaccine that's being tested? I would. I have one just barely over 12 who I gave the vaccine to and one just barely under 12 who I will give the vaccine to, but I wanted that safety data. Let's be clear. This is a infection that causes much, much less severe disease in children. I don't think that is disputable, actually. Why do we want children to get the vaccine? Because it's rare to get severe disease, but it happens and we don't want any of that. It's a preventable illness if this vaccine is safe, but why not? And then fundamentally, we're also protecting our older individuals, even if adults are more susceptible to create more immunity in the community. Creating immunity in the community is the only way to get through a pandemic. So yes, I will, but I would like, actually I would like that safety data. I want that 5,000 children enrolled to make sure. I want to ask you about Delta on everyone's mind. Are kids under 12 more likely to catch the Delta variant that we know is to be more contagious? So actually, everyone is more likely to catch it, including children. However, there are mitigation procedures to prevent any of us from catching it, including children. Actually, the UK shows us this in a way poignantly because they had their schools wide open actually without masking and other mitigation procedures at the time because things were going well. They had their schools wide open during the Delta variant. And no, they did not see increased hospitalizations from COVID. Getting the virus in your nose, though, this is a more transmissible variant. It just is. And all those mitigation procedures will be employed at the beginning of this year while they're starting school until we can get through this Delta variant wave. It doesn't mean that it's not safe to be in school because remember we open schools in many areas of the world and different states in the country, even when there was no vaccine for anyone. At the beginning of July, the CDC said that if you are a student who is vaccinated, you likely don't need to wear a mask in school. 
that all changed on July 27th when they saw the surge with the Delta variant. They're now advising every kid in school needs to wear a mask regardless. What do you make of the CDC messaging? They are right to say that we should all be masking right now in areas of high community transmission. But what did they do for adults? They linked masking to metrics so that if you are an adult in Vermont where there are low rates of community transmission, you're back to May 13th. You don't have to mask. And if you're an adult in California where I am, you have to mask even if you're vaccinated inside. That's prudent. It's linking it to community transmission rates because even though I'm vaccinated, I'm still more likely to get a mild breakthrough infection when there's a lot of circulating virus. But to not do that with children, to not link it to a metric, you have just created problems and anguish among parents. Because there are some parents who are very happy to have their children start out masked, but they want an off-ramp. The reason they want an off-ramp is they want children and they want those children to be communicating without masks if there's times of low risk. Off-ramps are the right thing to do when you put in things into place. We all do something together when it's high risk, and then we all take them off when it's low risk. That's what I would do if I were the CDC, including with children. Over the weekend, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said that he's going to leave it up to the parents to allow whether or not they mask their kids. It's become so political. How concerned are you about Florida, where many are now calling it the epicenter of COVID in America? Should people be concerned about vacationing down there? And are you concerned about Florida schools having this policy now? So the way I think about Florida is we are unfortunately back in Florida in the ways that we were in schools during the last spring, summer, winter surges, where we actually have to think about all those mitigation procedures coming back into play. If people are going on vacation, they have to come back and test. If in the school there should be masks and ventilation mainly as the two most important mitigation strategies. And what you just said, unfortunately, is shown us that we have politicized masks, we have politicized the pandemic. The CDC didn't exactly message why they put back masks uh, last week in the best way, even though I think it was a prudent thing for them to do, but it wasn't message right and it became political. It is the right thing to do to go back to school, but it has to be done with mitigation procedures to keep students and teachers safe, which would be masks for teachers and students until this Delta variant subsides. And so when the governor says that it's optional, I would hope that we'd get out of the politics and just go back to it should happen. And if not, I hope that parents and teachers will understand that they should be masking their children and teachers should be masking themselves for full protection and keeping the windows open and the doors open until we can get down with this variant. Just like we're seeing the Delta variant become the main and most prevalent variant, what's the prognosis of an even deadlier variant appearing in the future? How worried are you? Okay. I'm actually not worried about that, unlike what others have said. Why do I say that? Because the worst thing any variant could do is evade our immunity. We have three aspects of a variant. We have increased transmissibility. Okay, I think we've gotten the most transmissible variant we can ever get. That's the Delta variant. Second is increased virulence among those who get it. With a higher viral load, there is a hint that this could be more virulent, but it also burns through the population more quickly. Only like silver lining, right? That something comes in like a hurricane. The worst thing that could ever happen is will the virus evade our vaccines. And I'm going to put that super simply. 
We learned from the Delta variant that it is standing up to severe disease like gangbusters. We are really preventing severe disease with our vaccines. The reason I'm not worried that we're going to get a strain that evades our ability to prevent severe disease is as simple as how do we prevent severe disease? T cells. And I'm going to just say it really simply. T cells line up and there are 100 T cells that go across that spike protein when you get the vaccine to fight that virus. If you get a variant like Delta that has 10 to 11 mutations, you may have docked out down to 89, down to 87, but you still have 100 T cells that are there to protect you. You cannot get 100 mutations along the spike protein. The virus will be completely disabled at that point. So I don't think it's going to evade the vaccine. And that's the worst thing that could happen. But I do think we're going to see more mild breakthroughs. We're going to all decide about antibodies. But I don't think we're going to evade the ability of the vaccines to protect us against severe disease because of T cells. Well, we've got to take a quick break, but we'll be back with Dr. Monica Gandhi, professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, on the Recount Daily Pod. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We have more insightful conversations between myself, Paul Muldoon, and Paul McCartney about his life and career. It was 20 years ago today. We had a big bear of a man, it's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie. And uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, here, there and everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around, I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big pop it ran sucks in 2004, bounced back after the 3-0. We never win a chicken dinner, homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. We're here with Dr. Monica Gandhi, professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. Are we overly freaked out about this Delta variant? And one of the questions we got in is, I'm really stunned. Is the variant really caused by non-vaccinated people? Right. 
So last week didn't go well in this country. And I'm just going to say it really clearly. There was an outbreak in Provincetown during a very fun, usual festive time on July 4th, where a lot of people descend on one area from multiple areas of the country with varying rates of vaccination within that group because you can't look at the population rate of vaccination in Provincetown. You just got a whole bunch of people in with different vaccination rates. Then there was a study that was published in MMWR that said there was so many people who got a mild breakthrough infection, which there were, there was about 79%. But in that case, there was a lot more mixing than your usual sort of descending and parties. There was inside activity, multiple activities, not windows, lots of intimacy. Conclusions were made from this study that we really can't make. It's still likely that the unvaccinated had a very larger role to play in transmission. Absolutely, mild breakthroughs are happening with Delta. Absolutely, I'm sure transmission can happen happen with vaccinated people. But for them to be called equal, I think was not reflected in the data. And I think it caused a lot of confusion. And to be honest, the White House said very kind of a leaked way that they were frustrated with what happened. And I was too. Mm. I want to ask you a little bit about what we saw and what we learned from the Delta variant in India and the UK. I read somewhere that if we're following similar trajectory to the UK, we might hit peak with Delta around September 1st. Do you agree with that analysis? And what do you think we've learned? And, and what can we extract as we're going through this right now? Yes. So I hate Delta. I hate COVID. Okay. The one thing about Delta is this is the way I've been putting it in my head. It leaves immunity in its wake. And what do I mean by that? Let's look back what you just said. What happened in India? It was terrible. Around May 2nd, after a period of an amazing amount of quietude, there was the start of rise of cases. And it was terrible because we had low rates of vaccination in that country. And because of that, there was massive and terrible suffering and death. And then it subsided. Why did it subside? Not because we vaccinated 100% of eligible Indians. There was no supply or time to do that. It leaves immunity in its wake. Anyone who had partial immunity from the vaccines probably got some Delta variant in their nose that stimulated their immune response and they had a stronger immune barrier to the virus. And then what happened? The wave came down. Same thing in the UK. In the UK, the Delta variant rose because there were higher rates of vaccination, so much higher, 76% first dose. The hospitalization stayed low. The vulnerable patients in that country had already been vaccinated. So the hospitalizations became what we call decoupled from cases. Cases were going up. Hospitalizations were still staying low. The country decided to reopen on July 19th. And about six days later after that, cases started plummeting. We can't say it's because of lockdown. They literally just had opened the country. Cases started plummeting because of immunity. Those who got a little bit of virus in their nose strengthened their immune system. And those who had not had the chance to get vaccinated as eligible adults got immunity. And the cases are plummeting. So when is that going to happen in the United States? You just predicted it. It looks like the models are showing us that we are going to peak and we're still peaking throughout August. And then they will start coming down starting in September. And then by mid-September, late September, it should be down, plummeting back to very low levels. This pandemic really won't be our last. What do you think are some of the lessons that we can take away from COVID about how we approach public health, especially in relation to children? 
I think we learned we were not prepared for this pandemic and we were also not prepared for the prolonged aspect of this pandemic. And when something is prolonged, we cannot actually stay in a state of perpetual emergency for those who are at low risk for the particular pathogen. So when you just said, what do I think we learned from children? What I think we learned about children is that we should have opened schools sooner. This does apply even in the face of Delta variant. And that's what I learned about schools. What did I learn about public health messaging? We scared people so much and could have applied a more calm approach and still kept people safe and still allowed more things to be open. And we call that harm reduction. And I keep on thinking back to HIV and what we did with people. We didn't say stay away from everyone. You're never going to have sexual intimacy again because there's a pathogen out there. We said, hey, let me tell you how to stay safe. Let me tell you about condoms. Let me tell you about PrEP. In this case, let me tell you about mass distancing and ventilation. But I think the prolonged closures, including school, and also the mental health effects of us all having to stay away from each other, I think are going to cause their own problems with public health. Dr. Gandhi, before you go, I want to ask you a question. I'm not sure you'll be able to answer, but I have to ask it. When do you think this pandemic will be behind us? I know the reason this last week was so hard is we have to accept we're not going to eliminate or eradicate this virus. This virus is endemic and this virus is going to be like its other four cold causing coronaviruses that we actually don't bother us very much if we could get more and more people vaccinated. So because what does the vaccines do? It turns a severe illness into a mild illness. And then everyone can decide if they want mild illness. And we know those mitigation strategies like masks to stay away from mild illness. But it will always be with us. There will be outbreaks in communities that have decided not to vaccinate. But we will get to a place of control where, believe me, you don't think about COVID. And I know that seems impossible, but we will actually get there. And the reason that I know that is remember that small amount of time in this country when the alpha subsided and the delta came up, where things were opening and things felt like kind of amazing and things felt safe and things felt like suddenly you were thinking about other things. We will get back to that when we get more immunity in our population. And then we will not, I'm sorry, we will not eliminate it, but it will always be with us, but we'll be able to manage it. It won't become the public health public's problem. It will become the problems of doctors and of public health officials and ID people to control outbreaks and make sure as many people don't get severe disease. It will become something we look at to prevent severe disease, not to prevent cases. Dr. Monica Gandhi, grateful you could join us. Thank you. And now to the look ahead. Here's what else we're watching today. The pretrial hearing for singer R. Kelly begins today, and the charges include racketeering, sexual exploitation of a child, bribery, kidnapping, and forced labor. R. Kelly was accused back in 2017 by three sets of parents of holding their daughters in an abusive cult. Kelly also faces charges in two separate cases in Illinois on charges including coercing minors to engage in sex. All eyes are on Ohio's special election today to see how much influence former President Donald Trump still has over the Republican Party. Last week, Republican Jake Elzey of Texas won the U.S. House seat, beating out Trump-backed candidate Susan Wright. Since that defeat, Trump allies have been focused on Ohio, hoping to get a victory to help them as we move into midterm election season. Trump has endorsed Mike Carey, who is among 10 Republicans eyeing the seat left vacant by retired Congressman Steve Stivers. Today marks the 40th anniversary of the air traffic control strike. That's when 13,000 members of the Professional Air Traffic Controllers Union went on strike. In response, President Reagan decertified the union giving strikers an ultimatum. 
I must tell those who failed to report for duty that this morning they are in violation of the law and if they do not report for work within 48 hours they have forfeited their jobs and will be terminated. Ronald Reagan did not stand down from that threat. He actually fired over 11,000 workers, calling the strike a threat to national security. Reagan also banned the fired workers from ever being rehired by the FAA. The actions by the president had a ripple effect on unions throughout the economy as many private companies copied Reagan's approach of union busting by hiring new workers to replace the ones on strike. That'll do for us today. Have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow. This is the Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. Our thanks to Dr. Monica Gandhi for being on the show. And if you like this episode, I hope you'll subscribe to The Recount Daily Pod and leave a rating on the Apple Podcast app. I'm your host, Rena Ninen. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing. I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. You have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man, who's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie, and uh, <clears throat> I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Salt and pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland. A podcast about the ground on which the black community stands right now. From stories about salvation and loss. I loved a person who had an HIV diagnosis. To dreams achieved. Or yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. I sat down with a therapist and I began my journey. To those left behind. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.